This talk was given by Robert Roxon Ritchie at Zen Mountain Monastery. Roxon is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Today, I'd like to talk about coming into focus about what we do in Zen practice, about training the mind and the body, about the development of mindfulness and concentration or samadhi or shamatha in the Tibetan teachings. These teachings have a powerful energy and hold the most potent promise essential to the path of liberation we are taught that if we want to realize our true nature, if we want to become free of suffering and see into the way the world truly is, we must calm the mind and come into focus and then turn towards investigating the way things actually are. This is what the Buddha did. This is what he teaches us to do that there is a way is so inspiring. You can feel it like the sun rising. The Dharma turns us on. That, by the way, is a great way to work with sleepiness. You feel the power of the Buddha's original discovery. You appreciate the magnitude of the prospect of liberation. You remember the teachings. Remember your favorite one. Any one of them in their vivid clarity. Repeat it in the sleepy chamber of your mind and see how the light begins to fill the dull corners and like a bonfire, see how it blazes up and can inspire you to wake up, to re-engage the present moment, and begin again. It works. Try it. Memorize something the Buddha said to you. Repeat it with your heart. Like magic, the darkness dispels. So coming into focus is a process that we develop along the whole arc of our practice. There is always a finer and finer discrimination, a deeper intimacy, a more complete way of life. I think we can speak about coming into focus only as beginners. I know I am like this. It seems to open out and out and in and in forever. But even as beginners, we can study the teachings of the Buddha on concentration, samadhi, and we can learn how best to approach the training of the mind and how best to move more deeply into this most important practice. These teachings are basic to the, to, the, to the path. 
They inspire faith in the way because they are expedient means, upaya. They give us a practice, something to do. They make the realization of the Dharma possible for ordinary human beings like you and me. We study these teachings and we realize that, holy smokes, we can actually do this. We can do this. But first, we've got to get ready. We must prepare the altar of our hearts. The Buddha taught that to progress on the path, one master moral discipline, concentration, and achieve deep knowledge and vision of the way things actually are. The necessity of living a life according to the precepts, the moral and ethical teachings, is foundational. We cannot develop deep samadhi and insight into the true nature of things and liberate ourselves if our minds are roiling with desire and moral and ethical conflicts. In the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha said, if there is no sense control, O monks, then the basis for virtue is destroyed for one who lacks sense control. If there is no virtue, then the basis for right concentration is destroyed for one who lacks virtue. It is remarkably reciprocal. A certain moral and ethical stability enables the training of the mind. The training of the mind extends moral and ethical stability. This goes on endlessly. The 8th century Indian Buddhist contemplative, Kamala Shila, described 10 stages in the development of attention in his book, The Stages of Meditation. In 2006, B. Allen Wallace published a translation of the text and extended commentary in his book, The Attention Revolution. Wallace presents these stages with an incisive lucidity that makes them truly accessible for serious Western readers. There are actually just nine stages in this model. The the 10th stage is shamatha itself. So at the beginning, Kamalashila urges us to begin training 24 minutes or 1 60th of a day and to progress over the course of a lifetime to 10 times that long. Can you imagine sitting in perfect stillness for 240 minutes? Four hours? In Sashen, we learn that every time we extend ourselves, every time we do more than we think we can, we realize that we are more than we thought we were. Do not underestimate what you can do. Our capacity is not ours. 
Kamala Sheila says that some can attain all 10 stages in three months. For others, it takes many months or years. Really, we should not be too concerned about achieving goals or stages. Our attention should be on the meditations themselves, for themselves, and for the benefit of all sentient beings. Shugen Roshi spoke last week about the trap of falling into stages, coming and going on the bird's path. How can you look for stages? But as long as we remember that these stages are just expedient means to help us along the way, they can be very useful, especially for students starting out. As we develop attention and concentration, we must take care to follow the Buddha's guidance. Richard Shankman, in his book on Samadhi, says, it is not merely concentration, but right concentration that is indispensable. We must know what that is. Right concentration is yana, with its unification of mind and other associated factors within the context of the Eightfold Path. Concentration itself is the sixth factor of the seven factors of enlightenment that Shugen Roshi spoke to us about last weekend. There is much to learn, so much to practice. In the model that we're looking at here, Kamala Sheila says that the stage one is directed attention, mindfulness of breathing. He says that here is where we begin. We begin to notice how chaotic our minds are. We see and feel the noise and agitation of our so-called normal minds. Maybe for the first time in our lives, we recognize the constant chatter and the hubbub. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, may be an appropriate diagnosis of our whole civilization. We all seem to participate in it to a certain degree. The first step to peace is to see that clearly. Sometimes the background agitation that gnaws at the stem of our minds is not conscious. It just kind of fills the space with a constant gray noise that never quits. It becomes the ambient normal condition of our everyday lives. We cannot think straight. We cannot see straight with all this noise. We begin to disrupt its power over us only when we turn the mind to look at it directly, to notice it. Only then do we have an opportunity to release it. Kamala Sheila says, we must learn to relax. Again and again, we are asked to counteract the agitation and turbulence of the mind by relaxing more deeply, to scan the body and mind and find all those secret places where we hide our tension 
and consciously will to open, to release it, to relax. Then he says, attend to posture. To have a concentrated mind, we know we must have a concentrated body. We are invited to still the twitching body and settle into an alert equipoise. This is how we begin, and this is how we will continue. As Roshi said, we must tune the amazing human instrument to the travails of the path. We must come into focus. Then Kamashila says, practice, breathe. He asks us to be at ease, to be still, to be vigilant, and to notice the breath. This is stage one. In our tradition, we teach counting as an aid to enable us to stay with the breath and to develop concentration and steadiness. One, two, three, and on and on. We see each breath in its entirety. Unless, of course, we don't. Then we begin again. In the connected discourses, the Buddha himself says that before his own enlightenment, he dwelled in samadhi through mindfulness of breathing. Concentration by mindfulness of breathing, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit. I, too, before my enlightenment, while I was still a bodhisattva, not fully enlightened, generally dwelt in this dwelling. So stage two is continuous attention. Here, we must notice our tendency to attempt to entertain multiple trains of thought at once, to attempt multitasking, the great illusion of the A-type champions of our civilization, As you may have noticed, multitasking is actually impossible. You end up doing many things in rapid, frenetic succession and back and forth, but none of them very well. Oh, dear. Well, here um, is the place where we develop continuous attention, and we notice course excitation. How we completely lose touch with our practice for vast expanses of time, whole periods, whole lifetimes. This is only overcome by skillful, persistent practice, and it requires deep faith in the Dharma. We are dealing with a formidable force, a way of life, lifetimes of habit, entrenched deeply into the folds of consciousness. It will not be easy to vanquish this monster. Coarse excitation is normal. Coarse excitation is not 
normal. The natural state of the mind is not like this. But if we can remember the teaching of the Buddha and have faith that, like him, we can, through the patient practice of careful attention, release the roaring mayhem constantly rushing through our minds, we will emerge into a field of peace and quiet. As we go, we notice coarse excitation, and then we notice medium excitation, and then we notice subtle excitations. We think that these excitations are who we are. Here, we learn that this is not who we are. Kamala Sheila asks us to remind ourselves of what we are doing. Counting the breath is okay. This kind of thinking is okay. It is an expedient means. We are remembering to remember. This actually reduces uncontrolled thinking and enhances attentional stability rather than allowing us to get caught up by emotional and conceptual disturbances. Alternatively, we can develop the practice of bare attention. This is turning the attention fully to sensory impressions. And the Kudaka Nikaya, the Buddha asks us to develop a mind that knows that in the scene, there is only the scene. In the heard, there is only the heard. In the sensed, there is only the sensed. In the mentally perceived, there is only the mentally perceived. According to Kamalashila, maintaining continuous attention on the breath or body sensations completely, completely, for about one minute is second stage in this schema. As you may know, this is no small matter. We are so easily called away. Stage three is resurgent attention. Resurgent is a powerful adjective. It means increasing or reviving after a period of little activity, or literally arising again. You know, it's like the moon uh, emerging from behind heavy clouds, or a resurgent fire racing up the hillsides in California. At this stage, our meditation is becoming stronger. It has the quality of being resurgent. It comes on again and again and begins to sustain itself with vigor. Wallace says that the second stage can be achieved by some by meditating one or two sessions each day. But if you are practicing only one or two sessions a day, you may not get beyond stage two. The reason is simple. If you balance attention for an hour or so each day, but allow the mind to become fragmented, distracted for the other 15 hours of waking time, the attentional coherence of your meditation will be overwhelmed by the distractions of the rest of the day. To attain resurgent attention, 
One will have to meditate uh, multiple times across each day within a quiet and contemplative way of life. This is not outside the realm of possibility for most people, but it does require an intentional effort that looks closely at all the aspects of our lives and makes clear choices to rearrange activities and priorities so that we can come into focus. We won't be able to get up and sit tomorrow morning if we don't go to bed at a decent hour tonight. And if we want to quiet, if we want to find quiet in our minds, we'll have to find a way to ameliorate the constant roar of the media that bombards us each day. Stage four is close attention. At this stage, Kamala Sheila says the meditator no longer completely forgets the chosen object of meditation, the tactile sensations of the breath at the nostrils. Can you feel it? Can you feel it always? Now, this has become normal. There is a certain stability. Each session of meditation may last an hour or longer, free from excitations and laxity that would have distracted us before. We can do this. We just have to want to. We may tune in to breathing just right, or just a little off-center, so that there is still a little disturbance from outside agitations. But now we see that and bring the mind back to center and clarity. Inhale. Exhale. That's all. This is possible. It is available to everyone, to anyone who chooses to devote the energies of their life to seeing. Here is the power of mindfulness as it is cultivated in the practice of samadhi and applied to the practice of contemplative insight. The breath itself becomes light and subtle. Stay with it. Look more closely. See into the breath in its invisibleness. As the breath becomes more subtle, let the seeing become more and more vivid. The the dross distractions drift away as we come closer and closer. We may feel a sense of accomplishment here. We should, but we should not become attached. We cannot become complacent as though we have arrived. There is much more. Thankfully, there is always much more. Although we must always maintain student mind, we can recognize ourselves as students of experience and training now, no longer complete beginners. As attention to the breath deepens, these teachings ask us to to, uh, shift our attention from the tactile sensations of the breath to a mental object or an acquired sign, namita in the Pali. Kamala Sheila says that it appears in the space of the mind itself and is not 
a sensory impression. The object of meditation is at first physical. Then we bring it more completely into the mind itself. We are asked to progress from mindfulness of breathing to the mindfulness of this mental object or mindfulness with breathing. We are told that this is necessary to develop the vividness of samadhi to its full potential. Here, in the space of the mind, the namita becomes the object of our study. According to these teachings, Wallace says, this may appear to the mind's eye like a star, a cluster of gems or pearls, a wreath of flowers, a puff of smoke, a cobweb, a cloud, a lotus flower, a wheel, the moon, or sun. Uh Uh-oh. This is very far-out, fascinating stuff. Flowers, smoke, wheels, pearls, the moon in my mind. When I first read this, I thought, wow, man. (laughs) A light show. This was going to be even better than a Pink Floyd concert. (laughs) But this is not entertainment. In our practice, we are committed to the serious study of the mind as it is, to the breath, to the reality of our lives. We are generally not interested in taking a Tibetan acid trip. But as you may have noticed... The mind has a vast potential to create stories, feelings, images, insights. I think we have all seen some flowers in the mind at some point or another. Dreams are like this. Our teachers will guide us. The manifestations that Kamala Shield is talking about here are just ordinary mind stuff that seen close up with the mind of meditation. With deep and continuous attention to the breath, a mental object may arise in the mind, but it will arise spontaneously. We will know it when we see it, but we, cannot, we can waste a lot of time and energy trying to deliberately manufacture or visualize such a sign. This can be a form of what Trungpa Rinpoche Uh, used to call spiritual materialism. We miss the spiritually and sublimely beautiful intention of this work if we get distracted by wanting to see signs and lights and gods and dragons. Come back to the breath and breathe. Steady. Steady. Enter here. We cannot appropriate the Dharma. We must let the Dharma reveal itself to us. So within the mind, we begin to come more into focus. Wallace says that according to a prominent school of Buddhist psychology, about 600 pulse-like moments of cognition occur per second. This means we have about 600 opportunities each second to apprehend apprehend some aspect of reality. 
moments of ascertaining cognition. But as you may have noticed, we normally apprehend at a much slower rate than that. The development of attention or concentration or samadhi depends on how completely we are focused on and awake to the object of our meditation, how many moments are actually um, uh, moments of ascertaining cognition. Wallace says that if we stay with our breath for 50 moments of ascertaining cognition each second, we will be developing a certain degree of mental stability. A distracted mind will scatter those moments across a wide range of different perceptual fields. But more and more, as we train the mind, we rest in deeper and deeper stability. He reminds us that we must maintain a foundation of equanimity under all of our efforts to develop attention. Our aspirations will be upset by emotional and psychological turbulence. We carry and expand all the stages of meditation with us as we go. It is not a linear or sequential process, but a constant convergence of multiple interdependent factors of the whole body and mind. Oh, my. Kamalashila's stages of meditation have gone on and on so slowly, or so it seems. We are only at stage four of ten. Seems like we'll not be getting to stage five today. We are coming into focus, but we must be patient. We must be very patient and attend to what is in front of us. Thankfully, there is always more. Thankfully. Stage five is called tamed attention. Six is pacified attention. Seven is fully pacified attention. Eight is single-pointed attention. Nine is attentional balance. Ten is shamatha. The stages will come and go. We should use them, but we should not fall into them. We will learn to rest the mind in its natural state. We will learn true compassion. And we will learn how to bring the mind of Zazen into every waking minute of our lives. This is our way. I'll end with a poem. With the convictions of a ghost, I glide across the lawn covered in dew. And in my silk shirt, I swoop up into a dead elm, its withered branches dark against the dark sky. Sure, that any moment now, an orange light will lime the horizon. Dawn will flood the valley. But even this late into the night, there is no blush on the edge of the world, no sign in the stillness. 
The constellations perforate the thin tissue of my old age and refuse to move. The ghost remains in mist. If I could just distill all of my vapors into a single drop, I'd hang from the tip of the last red leaf on this old tree, the moon in my vacant eye, the earth in my vacant eye, my eye in my vacant eye. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash jizoproject. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.